Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning, Trinity Community Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Are you happy to be here today? Yes. I got to tell you this, first service, we had a little bit of a faith journey because the AC wasn't working when we started. How many of you know that that stinks? But by God's grace, I got it up and running right at the end of worship. That was like perfect timing, right? I'd like to meet the guy that invented AC. I think I'd like to send that man a Christmas card. You know what I'm talking about? Or a woman. I don't know who it was, but God bless them. It's good to see everybody today. Let me encourage you with something. I know that God is always doing something progressive in our lives. You never measure fully what God is going to do in your tomorrow by what he's done in the past. It's a guide for us. But how many of you know that God is always doing something new in the new season? We, we celebrate what God did in the old times in the past, but we look forward to what God is going to do in the tomorrow. We do. So again, where God is taking us as a church, it's a new season. Be open to the new things in the new season. Yesterday I was at Acme. Every time I go out, it's an adventure. I have people say, Pastor, there's no way on earth. The stories you share, that can't be reality for you. It is. If you look for miracles and, 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 and amazing spiritual things in life, you'll find them. So yesterday I'm driving home from, from church working. <clears throat> Robin's like, hey, why don't you pick up a watermelon? So I stop at the Acme to get a watermelon. Now, how many of you like watermelon? How many of you stink at picking out a good watermelon? I got no idea what's a good watermelon. Now, they've told me, hey, look for this, look for that, and touch this. And every time I go there, I go blank. I, there's pressure, I don't know what to do. So I go to Acme, and there's a guy, there's a bunch of different watermelon uh, boxes, and a guy is there, and he's tapping on the watermelons like they're the bongos. Have you ever seen that? It's like, do, 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 and he'll go, do, do, do. So I'm just standing there, and I'm looking at this guy, and I'm thinking, maybe by osmosis, I can pick up something to figure out what a good watermelon's like. So he's banging on stuff, and I'm sitting there looking, and then, you know, he's doing this stuff, so he'd pick up a watermelon, bang on it, put it back down, and I'd go to the watermelon he picked up, and bang on it, have no idea what I'm doing, just, but bang on it a little bit. Eh, I don't like. So we started to communicate without even saying a word. Have you ever done this? So the guy looks at me, and I look at him, and he goes, which to me means, give it a shot, buddy. So I reach down, I pick up a watermelon, and I don't even know what I'm listening for. I go, ding, 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 and I look up, and the guy goes, <laughs> just like that, very subtle. Because, man, we don't need words to communicate, right, men? Right. We can communicate with this. Just with a look, a wink, we have to, we can communicate. So I, I go to another one, ding, 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 and he looks at me and goes, just like this, I have no idea what I'm looking for. So I pick up the biggest one I could find because I'm Greek and we're into quantity, right? So I pick up a big one, I go like this, and he looks at me and he goes, and I got to tell you, I put it in the cart, pretty good. To this day, I still have no idea why that's a good watermelon. I just knew that that guy knew what he was talking about. Sometimes, beloved, when it comes to your faith, if you keep doing what you've done for years, and you right now with your faith are dissatisfied, you can't keep doing the same things and expect a different result. It's time, beloved, for some of you to break out of the old and to step into the new. These experiences that we have, like this morning, you experienced Pastor Trish speaking over you a prophetic word, which is biblical. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then go to 1 Corinthians 14. It's, a, it's a, a whole chapter devoted to one subject, the prophetic. Spoke prophetically over some people today. Don't discount that. But don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Step into God, ask him, say, Lord, is this you? Allow him to, to tap those watermelons, to change you, so you can find out what a vibrant faith looks like. For some of you, your faith is dead. God wants you to be fully alive. Beloved, it's time to live. It's a new season. Smile. Your faith should fill you with joy. That's the God that I serve. Amen? Are you with me? Are you with me, beloved? Let's see what God has for us in the new season. Welcome to everybody. Welcome to all of you that are online. It's good to see everybody today. Uh, we don't care how you connect with us at Trinity. We're just glad that you've decided to connect with us today. God is doing some amazing things in our midst. We're in the middle of a series. Actually, we're finishing it up today called Catch the Wave. We're talking about how you and I can partner with God in what he's doing now in the now. It's important for us to recognize what God's doing so we don't, we don't miss it. You don't want to miss what God's doing. We don't want to miss good and important things. I remember a few years ago uh, at our church in, in Illinois, we built this big building. And to say thank you to some key staff members, they sent us on a three-day cruise. 
There are four couples on a three-day cruise. You ever been on a cruise? I don't know how I feel about cruises. Because they, they put you on a boat, they feed you well for like three or four days, and then they expect you to go in your bathing suit in public. That's just cruel. Don't make me decide between me and my bathing suit and a seafood buffet. Don't make me make that decision. Because I can tell you this right now, the food's going to win every time. And then nobody's going to be happy with the second result, right? So we're getting ready to go to the airport, and, and our executive pastor had set everything up, and he told us what time we needed to be at the airport, which would get us there two hours before our flight. Except he got a, a number wrong. He miscalculated something. So when we showed up at the airport, O'Hare Airport in Chicago, we realized our plane was leaving now. Have you ever got to the airport late? So we get there, and the lady at the ticket counter, she goes, listen, she goes, if you run, you might be able to make it to the gate to get on this plane to get you to this cruise. Now, at this point, I'm in my early 30s, and my mind still tells me I can do just marvelous things. And my body has been 10 years removed from being able to do anything like that. So I look at Robin, she looks at me, I was like, we can do this, babe. So we start running like a TV commercial toward our thing. And I get about 10 steps. And I realize there ain't no way I'm going to make it to the end of this runway. So I turn to to say, Robin, we got to slow down. And I look back, and if I'm 10 steps there, Robin is eight steps behind me. Now we're getting ready to get on a plane to go on a cruise. I look at Robin, she looks at me, she just goes, she goes, go on, go on without me, have fun without me, go on, it's okay. Four day cruise, three day cruise. At that point, I realized I was in the midst of a test. Do I go on the cruise, as she says, to have fun without her, or do I wait for her? Exactly. It was a test. Dare I say a trap? A trap? No, I won't have any fun on the cruise without you. All the buffet to me. Now, we made the plane. They ended up saving the plane or keeping it because there was eight of us that weren't on the plane. But again... The reality is this, guys, beloved, you know, we don't want to miss what God's doing. We don't want to miss the plane because of all the, the wonders that were on that buffet. Notice I don't talk about the ocean and the waves. And the, I talk about the food. You don't want to miss what God's doing. Don't come late to the party and don't allow your pride or your fears to keep you from stepping out. God is always doing something new. We don't live in the past We celebrate the past. We live in the now, and we point toward the future. That's what the church does. Behold, I am doing new things. That's what he does all the time. So this entire month, it's been strategic. What does it look like for you and I to catch the wave, to be a part of what God's doing now? So again, we started our series up with, you can't get on the wave until you recognize that the wave is. So we talked about what it means for us to to, to recognize what God's doing looking around us. And then we looked at what it means for us to replicate his heart. Once he puts his heart in us, then, then what does that look like for us moving forward with our connection with the world? So then what's the next step? Well, once God calls you, once he changes your heart and makes you his, the next natural step is to learn how to respond to when God is asking you to do something. How many of you know that God is always asking us to do things for the kingdom? He's always asking us now, you can live your life like some of you do in a regular society. You just cover your ears. You go, I just, I just can't get involved. I just can't get involved. That doesn't work in the kingdom. God created you for a purpose. And unless you're willing to step into your purpose and live that out, you will always live your life dissatisfied. You'll always live your life feeling like there's more with regrets. You don't want to live your life with regrets. So how do we respond properly when God asks us to do something? If you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2. I think Paul gives us a roadmap here on proper response to when God speaks to us. Again, if you have our app, if you click on our app on our phone, your phone, you get all my notes. If you have the U version of the Bible, you get all my notes. Just look for live events, look for Trinity, you see it. If you're on Facebook, check in. If you're on Instagram, do what you, want, you need to do. All the other stuff, I have no idea what to do. Philippians 2, starting at verse 12, says this. My beloved ones... Just like you've always listened to everything I've taught you in the past, I'm asking you now to keep following my instructions as though I were right there with you. Now you must continue to make this new life fully manifested as you live in the holy awe of God, which brings you trembling into his presence. Verse 13, God will continually revitalize you and planting within you the passion to do what pleases him. 
Live a cheerful life without complaining or division among yourselves. For then you will be seen as innocent, faultless, and pure children of God, even though you live in the midst of a brutal and perverse culture. Does that sound familiar? It's where we are right now. You will appear among them as shining lights in the universe. So what do we get from that passage? What can we grab from that passage that will help us to know how to practically respond to God when he asks us to do things, practically for us to respond to be a part of what he's doing? Well, it starts first with us having the right approach. You respond well, we respond correctly when we have the right approach. Now, when you give your heart to Christ, when you respond to him, everything changes. Now, I know some people, you get nervous. Some of the things that kept you from coming to God was you think, oh my goodness, if I give my heart to Christ, if I decide to do this, I mean, I'm going to be weird. Let me let you know a little secret. To a certain group of people already, you're already weird. You're already strange. You already think you're weird. Don't live your life to try to please other people and make them think that you're not weird. To a certain group, you're always going to be something to somebody. You live your life to please one person, God. And then everything else will be taken care of. It will be. Know this about your faith. Once you give your heart to Christ, everything changes. Everything changes. Why? Because you don't just, it's not just, a, you know, you're not just transferring into another season. You, there's a metamorphosis that takes place. You are turning into something different. You were a sinner saved by grace. You're now a new creation in Christ. Once you give your heart to Christ, you're no longer a sinner saved by grace. That's what you used to be. That's the caterpillar. You go through the cocoon and you come out a butterfly. Everything's different. Everything changes. What does that mean? That means that you can't live your life the way that you used to and expect to be everything that God wants you to be now. Your approach has to change. It's not business as usual. So how are you responding? How are you approaching to God in your newness of life? Do you struggle to be new? I do. I've been saved for a long time now, and I still struggle to be new. I still work out my faith with fear and trembling. Why? Because it's a battle. But understand this. I no longer associate with who I used to be. I'm now something new. So do me a favor, beloved. Don't continue to put in your head the failures and the weaknesses of who you used to be. Be the person that God says you are now and then point toward that future. And beloved, let me just throw something else out here for you. And I'll reinforce it again later. Nobody here wants to be, wants to be defined by their worst moments and their failures, right? Don't define others the same way. See them as new in Christ. See them as God created them to be, new. When it comes to your relationship with Christ, things have to change. Your approach has to change. In February, we had a celebration in the Harris household. I got to, uh, my eldest son, Tyler, your youth guy, um, got married. Uh, I got a, a bonus daughter out of the gig, pretty good gig, right? Uh, McKenna, great, great family. And I remember um, as the wedding was getting close, it was in, right before Christmas, the land, you know, the time of plenty where you eat for these suits at this young hip place. Um, I forget what it was called. I don't even, I, that's how much I, I really, you know, H&M, that's right. I think I was the oldest person there, just me and Derek, the only two people there, old people there. So we get there and he goes, Ty goes, now listen, he goes, we're just, you know, we're kind of young, so we got these slim fit suits. <laughs> now, there's only two slim things that I'm, I've been comfortable with my whole life. First, uh, slim gyms. That's, that's high up on, 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 the, on the thing. And then I'm also familiar with Slim Fast because I'm always trying to get smaller. I had a buddy in college. We went on a diet. We went on a Slim Fast diet. His name was Boo Boo. And Boo Boo would put ice cream in his Slim Fast shake, and he'd drink it with his meal. And he said, I don't know why I'm not, I'm not losing weight. I'm like, well, it's not, you're supposed to just drink the shake with nothing. That replaces the meal. He goes, I can't do that. I'll die. I said, I, that's part of the plan for us to die. Because when you die, you lose a lot of weight apparently that way. So I said, well, I don't slim. He goes, well, you know, it's just, the slim fit is just cut different. And, and, and there's no, I mean, you, you know you have this suit on because it hugs you everywhere. I'll just say that. So I got the suit and it fit right, but I realized this, the way it fit, I wanted it to fit a little comfortable. So in my head, I got it where it fit snug. And I thought, well, you know what? It's December. I don't have to get into this thing until February. At some point, I could drop a few pounds to make this thing fit right. Not thinking it's Christmas and all the other stuff, and I eat ice cream every day. None of that factored through my head. 
So I get the suit, the $52 suit. They could tear an A moment. And, and the, week, the days in the week start to march. And the wedding's getting closer, and I realize something. Not only have I not lost any weight, but I found some weight. And the weight that I found brought some buddies. You know what I'm talking about? So I put the suit on that day. And I'm going to tell you this. Um, I like to pray, and I'm a man of faith. It took another dimension, gear of faith, for me to pray over that suit to get those, those buttons to button. So this is me. And it, you look at that top button. Can you see that? There it is right there. Can you hear that button screaming from here? Look, look at that thing. Now, that's the button you can see. I can tell you this right now. If my pant button were to break loose, somebody could lose an eye. You know what I'm talking about? So the whole time I'm doing the wedding, I'm like, dearly beloved, I'm, I'm praying. I'm like, God, let those buttons hold. Let those buttons hold. Because, I mean, I don't want to ruin their, their wedding, and I don't want to make a, you know, be a, 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 you know, a, an Internet video. I don't want to be that guy. You know what I'm talking about? Here's my point. In order for me to enjoy myself at the wedding and wear that thing the way it should have, my approach had to change. It didn't. So I struggled, and the suit didn't fit right because my approach didn't change. I kept eating things. And then the things that I didn't eat, I ate those too. As believers, our approach has to change when it comes to your faith. Some of you struggle in your faith because you're eating spiritual garbage and you're expecting a spiritual result. You can't do that, beloved. We can't be one way, not the other thing. You can't put Christ on and do all the stuff that you used to do before. This is what Galatians 3.27 says. And listen to this. This is a great passage. <clears throat> it says, and all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ. Everybody say put on. You put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Have you ever thought about your faith as something that you put on? Something that you wear? You put on Christ as you put on new clothes. So when you put Christ on, how does he feel? How does it feel? The goal for us as believers is to allow him to change us so much that when you put Christ on, he fits perfectly. But some of you struggle. You're like me with them suits, and, and the buttons are barely holding on. The anchor, the buttons hold, right? God wants that thing to fit perfectly. The only way that that works is if you allow the transformation, the metamorphosis of the Spirit to take place in your life. And that starts with having the proper approach. Things have to change. In the kingdom, little things add up to big things. Sometimes we think that our faith is built on these big Sunday morning moments. We had a great Sunday morning moment today. And it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and, and we embrace it, and it's great. But understand this, beloved. Your faith is not built from Sunday to Sunday. Your faith is built on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Your faith is built in what you do every day. got to feed yourself every day. You know, you feed your body every day, don't you? I know I'm looking at some of you. You all eat more than once a week. I'm going to look up into the sky so nobody's like, he's looking at me. You have to feed yourself spiritually every day to become the person that God wants you to be. That's the routine and the discipline of your faith. This is daily Bible reading and prayer and practically loving others. That's the approach we need to take if we want to respond correctly to what God has for us. When we do those things, we start to show people and ourselves what's really going on on the inside of us. When it comes to your faith, there's no shortcuts. It's not just about the shiny outside. It's about what God's doing on the inside. You know, the Bible says this, all of you have gifts, and your gifts are shiny. What holds your gifts? The disciplines in your character. Shiny gifts, they don't impress me. Character impresses me. That staying power, those things. There's no shortcuts in the kingdom. I remember Toby and I were riding. The only bike ride I'd ever gotten to come on with me, we were riding through White Clay Creek. And he was whining because he's a teenager. This is what he does. If you know Toby, you'll know that's true. He said, we got to get done. I'm going to die. We're not going to die at White Clay Creek. So in my head, I thought I knew where the trails were at. I decided for us to take a shortcut. Our shortcut added two hours to our bike ride. We were going to be the first two people to ever die in White Clay Creek because they got lost. I mean, I'm sure that there was a Walgreens 10 minutes from where I was at. Couldn't find that stinking Walgreens. That moment, he's like, I'm never going to bike ride again. You wanted me to die. I don't want you to die. I just want you to shut up. <laughs> right? You ever been there? 
There's no spiritual shortcuts. Little things add to big things. There's no spiritual shortcuts. If you want to properly respond to what God's asking you to do, you have to change the way you approach your faith. For some of you, your faith is just a one-day-a-week thing, and I want to encourage you today, brothers and sisters. Let your faith be a daily thing. Give God your heart. Allow him to change your approach. Is Jesus the center? The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, then everything else will be added unto you. Is he the center? Is he the rudder? Or is he just one of the things that you do? If he's one of the things that you do, your faith will never be what it could be, and you'll always live dissatisfied when it comes to your faith. I want to encourage you. Change your approach. So to respond correctly to what God's doing in our life, we have to change how we connect with him. Everything changes. We put Christ on. Second, you need to give God your attitude. We have to have the right attitude. Look at the passage. Verse 13 says this, God will continually revitalize you and planting within you the passion to do what pleases him. Live a cheerful life without complaining or division among yourselves. Now this is an interesting part of scripture, it is. Because Paul started to hone in on kind of our posture, why we do what we do, the attitude of things. So is your attitude really that big a deal when it comes to your faith? Absolutely it is. Why? Because your attitude reveals what's really going on in your heart. Do you know that your attitude is connected to your heart? Your mouth is connected to your heart? It is. How you respond tells everybody around you what's going on in your heart, what's going on in your life. Now, all of us struggle with attitudes from time to time, right? Does anybody here struggle with having a good attitude in a bad situation? Um, most of you don't know this. All of us have our little crosses to bear. Um, one of my crosses to bear, personally, uh, Robin is a trained dancer, like ballet, all that stuff. So um, she appreciates the arts like that. Now, I appreciate the arts, but I'm not a dancer. But because, you know, I, I, I love my wife, I, um, I, I, I open up to those things. So um, some people in our church in Pittsburgh found out that she was a trained dancer. And I didn't realize this. Do you know that you can have season tickets to the ballet? Like football? But nothing like football at all? So we had a season ticket holder for the ballet, so we got invited to go to see the Nutcracker every year while we were in Pittsburgh. You know how many times I've seen the Nutcracker? About 17,000 times. Have you seen the Nutcracker? You know how it's going to end, right? People are dancing, men, women doing their thing. There's nothing left to the imagination. It's the Nutcracker. I'm expected to go to the Nutcracker with a smile to be supportive because that's what we do. And I struggle to have a proper attitude when I have to watch the Nutcracker. Again, by the way, if you have season tickets to the Philadelphia buffet or uh, ballet, <laughs> do not give me tickets to the Nutcracker because I'll feel obligated to go. Now, the only thing worse than, for me than seeing the Nutcracker is seeing lesser versions of the Nutcracker, like, you know, kids' performances of the Nutcracker. I love kids. But, you know, it's bad enough for me, i got to watch kids bump into themselves. And so we, we were in, in, in another church, and their daughters were in the Nutcracker. And they're like, Pastor, you have to go see our daughters. I, I'd love, I'll do anything for you. I'd love to see your daughters. They have a little dance recital. That'll be great. What's the recital? The Nutcracker. I go, because I have, I have issues. I have issues with the Nutcracker. So I said, we would love to go. I'm twitching. So I go to see the Nutcracker. And to prove to people that I am at the Nutcracker, I pull up my phone and I start to take video pictures. I start to take the pictures at the Nutcracker, the little kid Nutcracker, and one of the ushers comes up to me and goes, sir, sir, you cannot take video of this performance. I said, why? He said, what if you take that video, you put it on the internet, and you charge people money to see this? I looked at him and said, who on earth would pay money to see this? Can you, see, are you, can you not see what's going on here? And he said, sir, if you continue, I'm going to have to kick you out of here. I'm taking video. He didn't kick me out. <laughs> so here's my point. I, 
I've seen the Nutcracker for years, and every time I go to see the Nutcracker, I expect to get bonus points for going to see the Nutcracker, but I never get them. You know why? My attitude stinks. When I go, they don't have, there's no vending machines, there's no snacks, there's nothing. Your attitude is a big deal. Some of you come to Christ and you do the things that you're supposed to do, but you don't do them with the right attitude. You don't have to come to church. You get to come to church. You understand right now on the planet, there are people that are not allowed to meet like this that would do anything to take your place. Not to have your car or have your money or have your food, but just to be able to sit together with brothers and sisters of the same mindset and worship God. They would do anything to do that. It's not a chore. It's a privilege. Church is not a box that you check. It's something that we are. We are the church. You see, when you respond to God correctly, with the right approach, he doesn't just welcome you and, 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 and give you strength to be saved, but the Bible tells us this. The things that he requires of us, he puts this thing in us, gives us the ability to please him. Those things aren't a chore anymore. They become a joy, become a privilege. It becomes an automatic response for us. If you come and, and, and working your faith out, coming to church and doing those things is a struggle for you. It's an indication that perhaps God does not have you as deeply as he needs to. Perhaps you've not aligned completely with what he has for you. This is what 2 Peter 1.3 says. Everything we could ever need for a life, say everything. everything. Everything that we could ever need for a life, for life and godliness, has already been deposited in us by his divine power. So what God's saying is this, everything you need to please me, I've already given you. For all this was lavished upon us through the rich experience of knowing him who has called us by name and invited us to come to him through a glorious manifestation of his goodness. Everything you need, not just to accomplish what he's called you to be, but to please him, he's already deposited in you, which is also your attitude. So through Christ, you and I can respond with the right attitude. Now, when you look at the passage, it's interesting to me. Paul zeroes in on four things when it comes to our attitude that we need to have when it comes to, you have to have a proper attitude with Christ. Four things. Don't know why he hits these things, but he does. The first thing that he hones in on is passion. We need to be passionate about our faith. Do you know that serving God is not a funeral? We've made it very solemn. And there's moments that God moves in our midst and it's solemn and it's quiet. But really, serving God is the greatest thing that's ever happened to us. There should be joy. There should be laughter. There should be clapping. There should be engagement of our emotions. By the way, who gave you your emotions? Why would God give you something that he does not want you to use? Does that sound like a gift? Do you remember back in the day? I don't, I'm old enough to remember this. Do you remember back in the day in the 70s when we had living rooms with plastic that nobody could ever go into? Some of you still have those. We had the living room that nobody could ever go into. And God help you, if you went in and you sat on one of those plastic covered couches, you'd get like the beating of your life. This is just for special people. I guess I'm not special. This is for good people that we love. We entertain in here. You know, rooms in your house you've never been in, right? Things just set apart for that. Understand this. Church is not, we're not stale like that. God gives us good gifts. Emotion, passion is one of those good things. Are you happy to be here today? Yes. Are you joyful to be here today? God wants you to serve him with passion. You know, when they asked Jesus, you know, when they looked at the Ten Commandments and they said, Jesus, what's the most important of these Ten Commandments? What's the number one commandment? He said this in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. He says, love the Lord God, the Lord your God, with every passion of your heart, with all the energy of your being, and with every thought that is within you. Does that scripture... Describe your faith. If it doesn't, then you and Jesus need to have a conversation. You and the Holy Spirit need to have a talk. And that's not something you have to work up, but it's something you need to say. And they say, Lord, I, I, that's not the posture of my heart. That's not my attitude. Can you help me to have that attitude? It's important, guys. Colossians 3.23 says this. Put your heart and the soul in every activity that you do as though you are doing it for the Lord himself and not merely others. 
Does God get your best? Does he get your everything? Or does he get leftovers? Our attitude should be one of passion when it comes to our faith. Second, he talks about being cheerful. When you, when you hear the word cheerful, what do you think of? Do you think of like that, that person that's perky? That you want to slap? You know what I'm talking about? There's nothing worse than a perky person, especially before you've had your coffee. Take your perkiness somewhere else, to a non-coffee lover. I mean, what does it mean to be cheerful? This is the definition of cheerful. To be noticeably happy, optimistic, or faith-filled. Happy, full of joy, optimistic, or faith-filled. When we're cheerful, we are people that are approachable, people that are faith-filled. Now, I know when we talk about the concept of being cheerful, that's not easy for some of you. For some of you, for whatever reason, when God was sending people out and there was a cheerful line, you were in like the churro line. You were in a different line. And you didn't get the cheerfulness that, that you should have gotten. You know, like if you ever see nature, nature's got animals that God designed in a way that just says, stay away from me. For some of you, you're the, you're the puffer fish of humanity, right? Your posture, you know, is there anybody in here that maybe you don't have that cheerful personality? There's a, <laughs> there's a few hands. And that, so don't point to your husband. Don't be, that's you, Fred. He's talking about you, right? Some of you have that stay away from me vibe. That's not the vibe we're looking for. And this is a cool thing about that whole cheerful thing. Even though you may have been brought up like that through the power of the Spirit, you can change. You can change. You can become that person that is not obstinate, but you become faith-filled. You become hope-filled. As believers, we're happy, we're approachable, and we're faith-filled. It's not, not, not fake. This is our disposition. We are people that bring solutions to the table, not problems. We're the ones in society. We are not the chicken littles of society. We're not the ones screaming, the sky's falling, the sky's falling. We are the anchors for the society. We are people. They should be able to anchor to us. We should be approachable. Where they can come to us and say, man, there's something different about you. I don't know what you have, but that's what I want. If as a believer, you know, people experience joy at your departure, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. Be cheerful. Be faith-filled. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But give reverent honor in your hearts to the Anointed One and treat Him as the Holy Master of your lives. And if anyone asks about the hope living within you, always be ready to explain your faith. If anybody asks about the hope living within you, who is going to ask you about the hope living within you if you never display hope? If you never display it, are they going to even know what's inside of you? They need to recognize it and say, what is that? So he talks about being cheerful as an attitude. And he hits the other one, the other C, complaining. Do we have any professional complainers in the house? I see some hands. <laughs> I, see, I wasn't expecting that. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, wow, we have our share and, and then also... The Baptist church is shared too. Yay. If you're not a professional complainer, you don't know if you're on the fence, you don't know where you fit. This is, let me give you some things that may indicate if you're a professional complainer. You may be the one that likes to fill in all the Yelp reviews and nobody in any of your Yelp reviews has ever gotten five stars. You may be a professional complainer. You may be a professional complainer if you're the first, the first thing you look for in a building is a suggestion box. You know what I'm talking about? You may be a professional complainer if you win the lottery and still find things to complain about. I won all this money. Have you ever carried a million dollars? It's really heavy and it hurts your arm. I would love to experience that. If you win that, you need somebody to carry your money, I'm your guy. For a little cut, I'm your guy. Professional complainers. Why did God single out complaining when it comes to our attitude? Why did he single it out in this passage? Well, when you complain, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody around you. Have you ever heard the phrase, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all? That's true. Have you ever had somebody tell you about somebody that you've never met before, but based on what they told you about that person, you already didn't like them? You already had an idea of what they were and what they wouldn't be. Just from hearing that, you never encountered them, you never experienced them, but just because of what they told you, you've already made an assumption about them. Have you ever had that happen? All of us have, Right? When you complain, it doesn't just affect you. It affects everybody around you. 
And once you start to give in to a, a constant complaining spirit, a complaining attitude, something starts to shift in your eyeballs, and you only start to see the things that are broken, and you never see the things that are good. You look for the things that are bad. You look for the broken. And that's not the heart of God. And ultimately, if you continue to complain, it puts you on a path to bitterness. And bitterness doesn't just wreck you, but it wrecks everybody around you. How many of you know somebody that's bitter? You can only be around them so long. What do you usually do with people that are bitter? You can't wait to get out of the door. I mean, unless they're your mom or your dad or your grandfather. I mean, if they were just a normal person, you'd never talk to them again. We don't want to go down the path of bitterness because it rots you and it rots everybody around you. Hebrews 12, 15 puts it this way. Watch over each other and make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. Just pause right there for a second. Grace is important. Grace doesn't mean that you can do whatever you want. You know, mercy is not getting what you, do, what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. All of us, at some point, need to experience God's grace. And the best thing that you and I can do when it comes to experiencing his grace is to pass that along to others, to practically show them what that looks like for others. Everything we do is done, beloved, through the lens of love, and grace, because those are the two steps that God led with us. I think of Hebrews. It says, uh, you know, when you're at your weakest or your lowest, boldly come, you know, to, to, the, to God's throne of grace where you can receive mercy and grace when you need it the most. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you needed grace? We extend that to others. And he says this, make sure that no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting from within them, which only cause trouble and poison. And poison the hearts of many. All comes from the seeds of, of complaining, being critical. So how do you see your world? Are you becoming bitter? Are you critical? Beloved, you were not born that way. You're a new creation in Christ. You can change. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you to see people, to see the world the way that he sees the world. All part of our attitude. And then the fourth part, this is a big one, division. Why would he put division right in the middle of that passage? Why would he talk about when we divide people? This is the Greek word for division. It means this, to argue, to plot, to divide. When I went to school at Southeastern University, um, there was always, there's a track there that always just, it bothered me. Part of just because of how I'm built. Um, I like to bring people together. I don't like to, to separate people. Um, we have this thing called apologetics. Now, apologetics is defending the faith toward other people in the faith. This is, this is when you sit down with a Baptist and a Presbyterian and a Greek Orthodox person and a Methodist and a Sunday God person, and you debate over who's right within the faith. Have you ever thought about this? From one book, in the world we have 33,000 different denominations. 33,000 from one book. 33,000 different movements that say, I'm right and you're wrong. Have you ever thought about that? The body's divided 33,000 different divisions when it comes to just denominations. Even from a church to church, it's tough for all of us just in the same tribe to stay on the same page and to get together. All from divisions arguing, deciding I'm right and you're wrong. Now, what's interesting to me is when you talk about these divisions, I don't think anybody in the church believes that when you start to argue and stuff like that, that you're, you're trying to, to, to turn people against each other. But that's exactly what happens when you elevate your opinions and your desires over your brothers and sisters in the body. When you decide to, not, to, to lift yourself and to not favor your brother and sister, when you decide that you being right is more important than you being together, divisions flow. They follow and they flow. Now, this is something, beloved, for us as a church, we have to be careful with this. Every church does. Know this, beloved. We are not all called to be the same, but we are all called to be in harmony and unity with each other. Everybody's got a different opinion. You've got to decide what the opinions that you have are, are, are big enough to die on. Your style is not is your opinion, but it's, it's, not, it's not something to divide you. The carpet color is not something that should divide you. I remember when I first came to Christ, <clears throat> I was talking to my Aunt Goldie. I was learning all this stuff. Greek lady, 
We were talking about, I saw a movie called Left Behind. You ever see those movies, Left Behind, where they scare you into the kingdom? It's like, you don't come to Jesus now. I saw one, there was like a guillotine, somebody's going to die. You're going to die, and I was like, I don't want to die. They tell you about, and so they were talking about the rapture. When is Jesus coming back? We've been talking about the rapture for years. So I went to my Aunt Goldie, and I said, Aunt Goldie, these guys tell me that sometimes, some people think that, that Jesus is coming back before the tribulation. Some people say right in the middle, some people at the end. When is Jesus coming back? She goes, well, TJ, I have your answer for you. I said, great, Aunt Goldie, I need this. She goes, it's a pre-tribulation rapture. I said, that's awesome, because I don't want to go through pain. Does anybody here like pain? I don't want to go through pain, right? So I said, that's great. I said, how do you believe this? She goes, I believe this because I want to. She goes, scripture support everything, but the, the, the goal is I want to. Do you know you believe what you believe because you want to? Let's just be real about that. Let's put it right on the table. There are certain things that God says we do this. There's other things that are a little murky and we move toward our wants. Most of our denominational differences are done because we want to believe something else. It fits better into our comfort level. So what creeps into, anytime you elevate yourself over somebody else, pride kicks in, and anytime pride kicks in, divisions start, and there's division. As a body, we do everything we can to preserve the unity of the brethren, as long as it's in alignment with Scripture. Know what's major, know what's not. This is Philippians 2.3, before we read it. I didn't, I didn't write this. This is in the Bible. I'm not that cool. I can't, I'm, not, I, I'm not allowed. I, it's already done. So everybody say, say, say Pastor TJ. No, say it again. Say, we love you. Because Jesus said we had to. Okay, I just want to make sure we're all on the same page. This is Philippians 2, 3. Be free from pride-filled opinions, for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts but in authentic humility, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. If we were to have this attitude, it would radically change the body. Radically. This doesn't mean that everybody else gets what they want and you don't get what you want. But what this means is, as believers, we mature and we understand what's important and we understand what is not. And you know what? You can do this. I believe in you. This is part of the maturation process of being like Christ. So when it comes to responding to God, we need to have the right approach. You are not a sinner saved by grace anymore. You were. You're now a new creation in Christ. That means that things have to change. The little things add up to the big things. Second, you need to have the right attitude. The motivation of your heart. The motive of your heart is important to God. If you're going to go to the nutcracker, you better have the right attitude, buddy. Or you ain't going to get any points for it at all. And then third, you get all these things right, it changes how the world sees us. Our appearance changes. We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We are called to be different. Look at the passage again. Verse 15 says this. After we go through the attitude adjustments, for then you will be seen as innocent Faultless and pure children of God, even though you live in the midst of a brutal and perverse culture, for you will appear among them as shining lights in the universe. The goal for us is not to blend in. It's to be different. Now, don't just be different because you want to be different. Sometimes as believers, we do crazy things just to be different. That's not what this passage is saying. What this passage is saying is this. The byproduct of a fruitful and a solid life with Christ will set you apart from other people. They'll see something in you that they want. They'll see something that's different. So we live our lives in a way that makes us distinct. Is that what your life, is it distinct? Or are you just like everybody else? In a world of darkness, we should radiate. We should shine like the stars in the sky. Now we see a great example of this in the life of Daniel. Most of you know who Daniel is. You know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. You know how God rescued him from the lion's den. But a lot of you don't know Daniel's backstory. Daniel found himself in a terrible situation. His country was taken over, was beaten. Daniel was exiled to another country, taken away from his family and his friends as a teenager. He was plucked out of what he knew into something that he didn't know. All alone, he had a few of his Hebrew brothers and sisters that were around him, but for the most part, he was isolated and alone, and he had to kind of figure out this new culture all by himself. And we see through the book of Daniel this progression from this teenager with, with spunk 
figuring it out to this mighty man of God that ended up basically ruling the kingdom that, that, took, that it took from him. He was, he was like the second in command, took care of everything. This is Daniel. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 6. This is his story. Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. The king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and to protect the king's interests. Daniel soon proved himself to be more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Not too bad from a kid that was taken from his land and plucked to somewhere else, right? Hello? He lived his life shining like the stars in the sky. He appeared different than everybody else. Verse 4. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling the government affairs but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. By the way, here's a little side note. Anytime you, uh, you follow God and you give your life to God and, and, and you do the right things, the little right things that turn into big things, you would think people would celebrate you, even in the church, but sometimes human nature kicks in and Instead of celebrating you, they decided they want to tear you down. Because sometimes we think, if I could tear that person down, I'll feel better about myself. You can never build yourself up by tearing somebody else down. Did you hear me, beloved? And I know that nobody in this church has ever done that with anybody. So I know I'm just, I'm just preaching to the choir. I get that. But if you know somebody that maybe happened to walk down that road, don't. We uplift people. We pour into people. Let's keep reading. Verse 6. So the administrators and the high officers went to the king and said, Long live King Darius. We're all in agreement. We administrators, officials, and high officers, advisors, and governors that the king should make a new law that will be strictly enforced. Give orders that over the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And now, your majesty, issue, the sign, uh, uh, issue and sign this into law so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and the Persians cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. Why did he sign the law? Were there butter in his bread? Flattery. Be aware of, beware of flattery, beloved. Verse 10. But when King Daniel learned that the law had been signed, or when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. Now we get a window to Daniel's life. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Look at verse 11. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house, and they found him praying and asking for God's help. Daniel did the little things that set him apart from everybody else, and even in the midst of fear and death, he continued to be who he was. Didn't matter. Isn't it funny that the officials that accused of all these things, they knew exactly where to find Daniel. That means that this was known. Daniel did the same bat time, same bat channel, right? Says, did you not, so, so they went straight to the king and reminded him about the law. Did you not sign into the law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and the Persians, and it cannot be revoked. Then they told the king, that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. Verse 14, hearing this, the king was deeply troubled, and he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. In the evening, the men went together to the king, and they said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave the orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God, whom you serve so faithfully, rescue you. Even the king knew Daniel's track record. Again, they'll appear like stars in the sky, the dark sky. Verse 17, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. Verse 19, very early the next morning, the king got up and he hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Look at verse 21. Daniel answered, long live the king. May God send, uh, my God sent an angel to shut the mouths of the lions so they wouldn't hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. 
He set the record straight. Verse 23, the king was overjoyed. He ordered that Daniel be lifted from the den. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. Verse 24, then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den along with their wives and their children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they, the floor even hit the, 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 the den, before he even hit the floor of the den. Verse 25, then King Darius sent a message to the people of every race, nation, and language throughout the world. Now listen to this. This is just because Daniel was who he was supposed to be. God elevated him. This is what happened. He says, peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom should tremble with fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God and he'll endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. And he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So Daniel responded correctly and God caused him to be seen by everybody else differently. And because he did the right things, he had the right approach, he had the right attitude, he appeared the right way. Not only did God do amazing things for Daniel, but God took Daniel, elevated him. And the message of who God was was shared through the entire kingdom because of one man's faithfulness. Just like Daniel, God wants you to shine. He wants me to shine. So how are you responding to God's call on your life. What do you say when he calls you? Beloved, understand this. He doesn't just call super-duper intergalactic people to follow him. If you look at Jesus and the disciples, he didn't call the best of the best. He called people like you and me. He's calling to all of us. What's your response? What is your response to, to God when he calls to us? Now, in a few minutes, we're going to take communion together. What was Jesus going to the cross for us? What was it? That was Jesus saying yes to God's plan and his purpose for his life. He's asking us to do the same thing. So what is God speaking to you about who we're becoming as a church of Trinity? What's he asking of you? Are you content to stay on the sideline? Or is he asking you to take a step in? Are you content to be the person you've always been? Or are you finally going to give in to the call of purpose that God has put on your life for years? Beloved, it's time. Do me a favor. Bow your heads with me. We're going to take a minute just to listen to the Holy Spirit. We know this. The Holy Spirit speaks to you just like he speaks to me. What is God speaking to you today? What is God speaking to you today? Listen for him. But then ask him, say, Lord, how would you have me respond to you today? Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.